Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Here is what I am excited about. I cannot wait to see what breaking news happens right after we post this podcast, because last Thursday, I would say not 60 seconds after I posted the podcast, it was the announcement of the Michigan State-Maryland football cancellation. So that was a precursor of things to come, because we last recorded Thursday afternoon, and so much has happened on both the football and basketball sides the past uh, four days. So it's been a, I mean, it's always crazy covering Michigan State, but it seems like we've really kind of upped it right before the Christmas break here. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that uh, please, please don't post the podcast because the the amount and enormity of things that happened uh, after you did that made it kind of like a, almost like a podcast curse. I know, um, right? Turned into a busy Thursday and Friday. Yeah, I mean, uh, for you and for all, all the people on the Michigan State beat, there was just uh, way too much action with transfers and departures and arrivals and, and we'll kind of get in all of those here in a little bit. Graham, how you doing? I'm good. And what's weird is if you look back at everything that's happened, the MSU Maryland game not being played <laughs> is probably like the 14th thing. Like it's not even it wasn't even it wouldn't even make the front page if you were if we're talking old newspaper style and you're doing a weekly. Like it just wasn't it wound up being so much less interesting than um everything else <laughs> that's occurred. And um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a weird year, right? We know that. And the timing is weird because you have sort of these recruiting seasons, uh, you know, colliding with games that are being played. You have a transfer portal that's more active than ever. You've got a basketball season that's in a weird place from where it would normally be a little bit. And um, it, it's, it's not boring. I'll, I'll tell you that it's, it's, it's not boring. I, I had heard that Monday that, that Maryland had, had maybe had an outbreak and checked with some sources down in D.C., and they hadn't heard anything, the reporters that cover Maryland that, that I spoke with. Um, so by the time you got to Thursday and we did the podcast, I was like, well, it's game on, and, but it's apparently not. So, you know, let's let's not recap the Maryland game. <laughs> uh, I think it's safe to say we are not going to do that. So great call there. All right, we have got a lot to talk about on this podcast, so I'll kind of run down here what we're going to go over. We're going to talk about the Spartan football program in terms of players that have left, players that have come in since we last recorded on Thursday afternoon, and there are many. Uh, we will also talk about Michigan State passing on a bowl game, and we'll, we'll only spend a couple minutes on that. And then we will move on to basketball, where we'll talk about uh, their, the Spartans lost Northwestern on Sunday, and then we'll talk about some of the ramifications that have come in that game, uh, whether it's Joey Hauser's Joey Hauser's knee injury, uh, 
whether that game is a sign of things to come for the Spartans or an aberration and uh, things like that. And then we will also make our picks for Friday's Christmas Day game against Wisconsin. And then I'll have Nate Atkins on at the end where we'll talk about Anthony Russo, Ma, now Teote, and then make our Big Ten bowl picks. All right, guys. Well, I want to start with the departures and arrivals in the Michigan State football program. And I am going to list them all here, at least as I have written down. If I missed one, you can let me know. As I'm just going to read these all in one group here because I assume we're going to be going back and forth in terms of who we are and aren't talking about. So just kind of get these all out of here. Uh, I will start with the departures. Uh, that is first one, QB Rocky Lombardi, the starter for most of the season. Uh, I believe he entered the transfer portal on Friday. Devontae Dobbs has already left and now is already at a school with Memphis, as is Julian Barnett, who we did talk about last Thursday. Cornerback Davion Williams is in the transfer portal, as is linebacker Just Lord Botang. Halfback tight end Max Roosevelt, and as of uh, like 20 minutes ago, uh, Andre Welch. And then those were preceded by Julian Barnett. And on the recruiting side, Audric Estime, who was a four-star running back who had committed to Michigan State but did not sign on signing day. And then on Friday, he elected to sign with Notre Dame. And I think the tea leaves had kind of leaned that way for a bit. So that was not necessarily a surprise. But on the plus side for Michigan State, we have three arrivals. That is Harold Joyner, a four-star running back from Auburn, Jared Horst, an offensive tackle from Arkansas State, who was first-team all-conference, and a big-time recruit ended up signing with the Spartans on Friday, and that was Gino Vandemark, a three-star offensive tackle from St. Joseph, New Jersey. That's the same high school that Estime was at. Okay, we have listed everybody. Chris, who out of that group, which one do you want to talk about? It's a grab bag. I will let you go with what you want to talk about first. Well, I mean, there are others still in the portal as well. I think a total somewhere up to around 11 or so, if you're counting Anthony Williams and, uh, you know, the punter Jack Bowmeister and Luke Fulton and and Charles Willickis. So, I mean, those, those guys are in there. But, but obviously, you got to start with Rocky Lombardi because yep. I, I think the writing was on the wall um, for him that, that it was going to be either him or Thorne and – you know, when when I think when Mel Tucker announced that that Peyton Thorne would start at at Maryland, that maybe put the put the final nail in the, in the coffin. Because I mean, when you're a, a junior quarterback and you've constantly got someone over your shoulder, you got pulled in the Indiana game, you got hurt against Ohio State. Um, you know, to, to me, I think yeah, there was plenty of of tape on on Rocky Lombardi what he could and couldn't do, and. You know, it, it, it's tough, I think, from a leadership standpoint for Michigan State because he was a really well-liked kid. Um, from what I heard, um, it was a pretty emotional uh, farewell that he gave to his, his teammates, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's tough. Um, but ultimately, I, I think when you look at what Mel Tucker is doing, um, he, he's taking the NFL business-like approach to it. If, if, if you cannot produce – um, then there isn't room for you. And, you know, even though we saw two games early where Lombardi threw for 300-plus yards, the turnovers were an issue, and they continued to be an issue and got worse uh, as the season progressed and as, as there was more game film available for defenses to scout him. And, you know, what, what you saw from Thorne, you saw some promise. You saw some things with his legs that were different than Lombardi. You saw some things with his accuracy. I think he completed – uh, 11 in a row against Ohio State, 12 in a row against Penn State. Um, I, you know, I, I think the writing was on the wall that Lombardi probably wouldn't be the guy. And, and for how quickly they moved on Anthony Russo, 
you, you could tell that Mel Tucker was looking to bring in a veteran presence. So I, I think it's still going to be a competition. Uh, it's just going to be one without Rocky Lombardi for the first time in a few years. In some ways, it worked out as it needed to. It worked out for Rocky Lombardi. Uh, he was not going to win that job next year. And, and, and to, for him not to waste an offseason trying to do so, you know, he can go try to find a fit um, for himself. Although I do think, you know, I, you know, I've had people reach out to me about him who cover other programs. And, I mean, I, I think his issues at Michigan State, at least at the Division One level, are going to be his issues everywhere. And so it'll be interesting to see who, um, who looking at his film, sees him as there is the answer with, with with the quarterback situation. I think it'll be, it's going to be fascinating because they really like camp Fay. There's no question about it. And they, uh, that's their first quarterback that has been chosen by this coaching staff, other than Anthony Russo as a transfer coming in, who's got a ton of experience and has done some good things. And so you can see how they could see Russo as potentially a stop you know, a, a guy for a year to pay. Um, and, the beauty of college football is it's not up to Mel Tucker. It's not up to Jay Johnson. It's never up to these dudes. It's always about who produces. And at quarterback, there's no hiding anybody. Like, we all see it. You can't – if you're a coach, you can like one guy more than another. But if you pick the wrong quarterback, you'll lose your fan base real quick. Nobody you lose your locker room. Everybody can see who moves the ball. So for Peyton Thorne, he's still got a, he's got a shot still. And he looked fantastic for a quarter. So there's some – some intrigue surrounding him. He's just got to build on that. A lot of people like him still. He could still wind up being the guy long-term, even if, if they think the other guys have more physical tools. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that position is, is going to be, obviously, quarterback gets the bulk of the attention and gets, and, and gets interesting in, in, in any year. Um, but I think, I think this next year, I don't think they want Peyton Thorne to do what Connor Cook did. And that is to win the job outright to the point that it is your job for three years, for two more years, and the young guy that came behind you uh, is sitting who they really like. And that's why they wanted Andrew Maxwell to win the job years ago. And, and you know, he didn't, and Connor Cook won it. And then Damian Terry and Tyler O'Connor were stuck. Like that, that you can tell when coaches don't want that. And it's just not their choice. If a guy wins the job, he wins the job. But again, those, those two guys in particular had their opportunities and shots when they did play. And and when you saw them, when the lights were on, uh, they didn't produce. So you know, I mean, you know, you had the one game at at Ohio State where where O'Connor came in and you know maybe benefited from the element of surprise in that, um, in some ways because they they tailored the game plan around running with him and Terry alternating, um, whereas they weren't doing that with Cook. But but I, I, you know they don't get to the college football playoffs without Connor Cook. So. Well, you know, the one thing I – go ahead. No, the other thing I was going to say, the one thing I – from just conversations I recall with, with Terry especially um, is, you know, once those guys lost, once Terry knew he was going to be a three-year backup, I, I, I do think his development was different than it might have been. You know, he wasn't like competing for the job all the time. He was a true freshman, didn't win it, and now you're just a backup. And, and he seemed – and that's personality-wise, and not everybody's the same, almost content with that, and that wound up being a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy for him. Um, and then he was injured and a lot of other things. And he, he just never developed. But uh, So, yeah, and everything's not in the exact same scenario. But, sorry, go ahead. But I do think the one thing that you see with both of those guys that they brought in with Faye and Russo is the size factor. And, I mean, you know, we kind of we kicked Colton Pouncey a little bit about it. But that's 
there's no question that they're looking for NFL size. And, you know, Rocky Lombardi was 6'2", um, probably around that. Peyton Thorne's listed at 6'2", probably under that. Um, you know, he, I think he's probably a little closer to six foot than maybe we see. And, you know, the question now becomes, um, is are those Drew Brees comparisons legitimate for him? I had heard that over a year ago um, that, you know, he was able to move around and do some things that were Brees-like with his size and, and skill, but he's got to be able to show it consistently. He's got to be able to protect the ball as well. That is one thing I think in bringing in Russo, this is a guy who is, has been interception prone. I think whoever protects the ball is going to be the guy at quarterback. Um, as much as we want to talk about moving the offense and everything else, um, you know, you can't turn the ball over. I mean, you saw that game one this year with seven turnovers against Rutgers and interceptions from Lombardi. That's, that's the one thing I think that's probably frustrating this coaching staff as much as it is. Um, you know, is, is the turnovers in that quarterback position. And Thorne had some. I mean, Thorne had the interception against Penn State. I think he threw an interception in every game he played, with the exception of Iowa. Um, and he had the fumble against Ohio State. So there are there are certainly – it's not, I think, a done deal for any of them, but um, it, it's going to be a heck of a competition whenever they do get to start spring practice because I, I'm not also – I'm also not 100% certain that the time frame that Mel Tucker – has to, to begin things for the, the winter off-season conditioning is going to be uh, fluid and smooth either because, you know, we already saw they pushed back the start of Michigan State's classes now to January 19th, and he wants to get jumped on. Uh, that was That's eight days after what initially they were planning, and that was, I think, around the day that he wanted to, to get them into winter conditioning. So, you know, the, the, this is going to be a, another fluid spring, I think, um, and, and we'll see, I guess, how – the spring practices go if the spring practices go and what kind of things they get out of them. all right well let's talk about the running backs here a little bit i don't think any of us were surprised that audrick Estime decided to commit from Mich- decommit excuse me from michigan state in favor of notre dame but as, as basically i think right before that happened uh michigan state did land that four-star running back transfer from auburn and harold joiner uh what do you guys make of that do you think michigan state wins out in in terms of getting you know someone who might be ready to play right away and join her or do you think a estimate is, is a huge loss when you're comparing the two running backs i don't know that he's a huge loss i think i mean running back is a position you can play early first of all so it's not like you know this isn't bringing in a seasoned quarterback versus a true freshman we've seen lots of running backs play play well as freshmen if they can pass protect, and even if they can't use them when you got to run the football like they did L.J. Scott years ago. Um, Joyner was a was a four-star kid himself. I've seen a little of him. He's, he, I think he's a, you know, he'll be a good player. I, and and you needed you needed somebody to come in that you kind of thought, uh, right now they've got Jordan Simmons. But beyond that, they don't have anybody right this year that showed a lot of oomph and juice and just, uh, a, you know, a hard-running hit. I mean, the, Elijah Collins, had 41 carries for 90 yards and was not the player he was a year before. And maybe he'll get that back, but you can't, you can't rely on him anymore. That's sort of, I think that that's past. And, and, and we all know what um, Connor Hayward is versatile, solid is what he is. They needed, they needed more juice at that position. So, uh, you know, I, I think it made sense to go get somebody. I think the transfer portal, he's still a younger player. I think the transfer portal is, is going to be, uh, this year, as much as any year, because of everybody's going to be eligible right away, um, just a, a great way to to get people who are going to be less damaged than other years. And what I mean by that is, 
and eventually it may when everybody doesn't have to sit out anyway this may not be the case but i think a lot more guys are reevaluating their situations and wanting to transfer this year and and i think that's okay because i think when you're 20 years old and you've been in college for a couple of years and some circumstances have changed and your own eyes have been opened it's different than when you make a decision at 17 years old so i think you you know i, I but i know in terms of the running back position i, th- I think this was a a great way to make up for what was clearly going to be a, a big loss on the high school front. Let me give you some numbers here. 11 and a half games, 47 quarters, over 701 minutes. Michigan State has played without a touchdown from a running back. You needed a talent infusion, however it was going to be, whether it was going to be Audric Estime, whether it was going to be Harold Joyner, whether it was going to be any of the other running backs that are in the portal that, that have experience and have shown the ability to get to the end zone. That's, I mean, that is a primary concern for Michigan State. It's not just the offensive line. I mean, you've got to have vision. You've got to have established vision and understanding and, and, and cutback ability and, and power. Um, we saw that at times with Simmons, but guess what? He didn't hit the end zone. Um, you know, they didn't have many in-close opportunities, and they had two running touchdowns. One was a long one from Thorne, and the other was a one-yard run from a converted punter kicker tight end. So you have to be able to have a running back that can get you the tough yards. And I think, you know, some of it was, I think you saw some of those play calls that Jay Johnson had were message senders to recruits and message senders to the future that we need to be able to get these tough yards in between the tackles. Um, and, and Connor Hayward couldn't do it. Um, so maybe a message sender to the guys in the room that that's the best guy that we got and we can't get it. So we're going to look elsewhere. I think also the estimate situation is one that, it, it was a message, I think, to other recruits. Uh, it says, listen, we want you to honor your commitment. We want you here. We're going to put full recruiting efforts into you. But if you balk at us at the, at the 11th hour, we got other options we can go look at. And I think ultimately that's going to be – it could be because, listen, the, you know, these running backs like Estimate come along every year. You know, that's, that's the nature of recruiting. Um, you need to hit on one of them. You know, I mean, Nick Saban did with, with Cedric Irvin, his first recruiting class. Um, so, you know, you're always going to have that. I mean, Joyner was a top five kid coming out of high school, yeah. top five running back. Um, you know, this is, it's not like you have a kid that's devoid of talent here. Um, so, you know, it, you, you, can you get comparable talent from the college level that, that is looking for a new home? Yeah. I mean, they just did it. Uh, but I think, now, you know, obviously they have Davian Prim coming in and he could surprise some people. But, you know, looking into next year's class, now all of a sudden you running back becomes a priority and you, you go after those top five kids again and say, here's what we want to do. I, I think that's, you know, that that to me is, is probably the big thing out of the estimate thing is like, OK, go do your thing. We'll, we'll move on to someone else. I think we could do an entire like five part miniseries on the fact that Michigan State did not score score a rushing touchdown from a running back this season I mean we really kind of undersold that in terms of talking about this team at any point it is a crazy stat and I think we're gonna look about look at that and then any many years to come and we're just gonna be like holy cow how does that happen especially with the history of Michigan State yep. if you look at the history of Michigan State it is about power running you get those I mean the Lorenzo White Indiana game 40 some carries they don't have a bell cow I mean they don't have a guy they can run 30 to 40 times a game right now. That's what they're looking for. Uh, that's what every college is looking for, but in particular, Michigan State. I mean, you know, the, the offensive line issue is, is certainly 
perplexing because you have a, a program that has been committed to the run for decades and Mark D'Antonio's staff was struggling to get high-end offensive linemen. And the one that they did, uh, Devontae Dobbs, wasn't good enough for this staff. So, I mean, you know, it, it's all intertwined, but, but you also have to have a running back that, that can stick his nose in there and, and show that, that he's got vision and power. And, you know, it's, where the disconnect came, I don't know. Um, there, was, there wasn't that long ago that, that Mark D'Antonio had three guys with NFL futures and Bell, Baker, and Caper. Um, I don't think Caper ended up going to the league, but he should prove to be a pretty good college back. So, you know, it's it, it, it certainly, you know, you, you go from, from having deep backfields to having nothing. That, that, that's troublesome, and I think that's certainly one of those areas that Mel Tucker knows he needs to fix. I mean, I, I, otherwise you, you don't make the hard push for a guy like SMA or go after a joiner in, in the portal. And, you know, what's interesting is you, you think about what they were, and, I mean, this goes back to Saban and Perlis. They had – They've had a lot of great backs, um, and you know, but with with the end of the D'Antonio era, and L.J. Scott was a big get. That was like one of the last great recruits they they got, in, or the kid Ohio State won. But you know, even Jeremy Langford, they got lucky that he developed when he did. About the time Connor Cook did. I mean, you know, you think about them going into that year in 2013, they they didn't know that they had a running back. They, I mean, they were messing around with Riley Bulla, you know. Um, they yeah. didn't know they had a quarterback. And, like, so some things always are going to be, you know, luck and you don't know what, what you have on your roster when you have it. But you're right. They just they, – they haven't had guys who um, – you know, you know it when you see a running back, too. You know it – you know, you, like the second Cedric Irvin stepped on campus and scored four touchdowns against Purdue in one game, you, you just knew it, right? Um, and, and so some of these guys did – and that's what was perplexing about uh, Elijah Collins this year is I'm not saying Elijah Collins was Cedric Irvin, but as a redshirt freshman, he, he had something to him, you know? And and to watch that not happen, so we'll see if he gets, you know, if he sticks around, if he gets his career back. I have no idea what happened there. Um, you know, I, you know, the season was stopped for a while. Uh, did he not come back in the quickest and best shape? You know, who knows? Um, but there's a guy, too, that I wouldn't completely write off. I just think it gets to a point where you just can't rely on them if you've had a year where you averaged barely two yards a carry. I really like Estime, so I think that's. I feel like that's a huge loss for for Michigan State, and I think that's some that is a, he could have filled the exact hole that you guys are talking about in terms of the type of running back that they need. But obviously, you know, like Chris said, Joiner was a top five guy in his recruiting class, so maybe Joiner is that guy. He'll, he'll get his opportunity and, and can fill the void there. Here's, here's the thing: if if Estime doesn't have the senior year he has. He's in Michigan State's camp. Right. So, I mean, you know, you, you are obviously seeing some talent identification that there's, there are programs that are coming in late on guys like an SMA, um, the, you know, those power, power programs, you know, and, and, you know, maybe top ten programs. I mean, you know, would, would a Rutgers have taken him away from Michigan State? Probably not. You know, it had to be a, a, a dream school and a, and a program that's going to be playing in, in the college football playoff. Yep. And – you know that's 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 five years ago now for Michigan State. I mean that's that's uh, you know that's eighth grade for Audrey Gustame, seventh grade. So I mean, you know you start to you know, your window starts closing, um, and you know some people might say it already has closed, but you know the, your window to to be a national power when you've been to that height does start to close. How do you how do you fix that? That's what Mel Tucker's trying to do is is make up for the last five 
seasons, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 now. Um, you know, you had one 10-win season in there and, and some middling years and, and two terrible years. So, um, you know, if, if you're a program that thinks that you can compete with those those teams, a, a guy like Mel Tucker who's been at Alabama, been at Georgia and, and seen how to get there, um, he has to enact his blueprint. And I think that's, you know, whether it's bypassing on an Audric Estime or, you know, getting spurned and then saying, you know, we're not waiting for you. Um, and that might've been the case that, yeah. you know, that might've been the case with, with Estime where he, because he was quiet and, you know, it sounded like he was going to sign in February and str- string it out. And all of a sudden Tucker goes and says, forget it. We're going to get Harold Joyner. And, and not even 20 minutes later, Estime is like, I'm committing on Friday. So, you know, it, it yeah, you don't know the recruiting order. Recruiting is a weird world. Yeah. yeah, recruiting is a weird world. And, you know, messages are being sent all the time, not just to the kids in, involved in the in the immediate recruitment, but future kids in, at that position and, and other positions to say, listen, you know, this is our business. This is how we're going about our business. You know, either you're in or you're out. Yeah, you know, you talked about the blueprint that Tucker has laid, and that, of course, comes with the the type of players he's recruiting on the offensive line. I mean, I'm not a Daniel Jeremiah-level you know, tape scour on the offensive line and what coaches and NFL personnel look for. But by all accounts, it seems like the Jarrett Horse pickup out of the transfer portal seems like a really good one. It fits the mold of what Tucker wants for his offensive line. Well, Andy, yeah. he's, he's played before. I mean, like the, the thing, you, I mean, that's the big thing, right? Offensive line on like running back. If you're, I'm not saying these kids are bringing in as freshmen aren't good, but if you're playing too many of them, you got another problem, right? It's a hard position to play early, and um, and so when you get a seasoned tackle, I think that is, and this could wind up being the biggest pickup of the entire offseason for next year, um, and uh, just in terms of need, and 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 we'll see. But and and people as well, all conference in the Sun Belt, you know, look, that's a Offensive lineman, it's 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 not that different. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's going to be a, a, an NFL guy, but this guy, you know, they wouldn't be bringing him in if they didn't think they had a starter and somebody could hold one one side of the tackle. Yeah, I mean, you're already playing a guard out of position at tackle in Kevin Jarvis. Um, yeah, which, yeah. I thought I thought he did an admirable job uh, last year at left tackle, and I thought he did an a okay job this year at right tackle, but he's out of position and. You know, he, he profiles as a squatty, big, in between the, you know, in the middle of the line kind of blocker. Um, How about you? You, you, need, you, know, you know, you need those guys with those long arms. You need the, the size and length to get out there. I mean, you saw it with the Brandon Baldwin pickup, and, you know, I, I, that's a project. I, I don't care what anybody says. The kid hasn't played a lot of football, and he hasn't played it down in junior college. That's still going to be a project pick. You Now you've got a guy – who can come in at the minimum and compete for that tackle job um, with size, with the, the reach, with the, the footwork that, that's needed on the edge. You know, whether he's, whether he's a left tackle in the Big Ten or a right tackle in the Big Ten, um, you know, that'll shake out. But the fact that he's, he's got college-level experience playing against schools that, you know, in, at the football, champ, or football bowl subdivision, that's, that's important. That is really important, Graham. It's just like you said. I mean, this is a position that has lacked depth. I mean, you know, th- there was injury issues with Devontae Dobbs this year, but also it didn't sound like there was there was uh, much confidence in him as well. I had heard from a source that, you know, the middle of the year, 
he would he would have started traveling if he didn't do some things academically that 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 threw him off or, and and that's i mean that's that's unfortunate but um you know you got to be committed you got to you got to if you're Mel Tucker you got to have a message to those guys regardless of the depth and say listen uh, you're you're going to be playing and you're going to be following what we need you to do or we're going to find someone else. I mean, that's the business-like approach. I mean, it, it's weird to say when we talk, when Mel Tucker has been talking so much about changing the culture, um, I, I don't know necessarily that the culture that, that he's talking about is the academics, the teamwork, all of those things. I think he's straight up talking about football players and football talent. I mean, it's, it's, it's a business-like transaction world now. I mean, he's taking Michigan State football – out of the collegial days and putting it more in an NFL structure. And that is a massive culture shift from where Mark D'Antonio was. Massive. Totally. It feels transactional, and it's less family-oriented. And it doesn't mean those relationships aren't caring, but it, it, it's, I think at one point I really it just feels more conditional. And, and we'll see if that plays. I think, I think ultimately to win at the highest level these days uh, in, a, in a transfer portal world, you have to do that. And, and to your point on the offensive line, like one of the things we talked about in previous podcasts was the idea that part of the problem was, you know, the answer to their issues up front might still be juniors or seniors in high school. And how long is that away? And and this, I, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if they wind up with another transfer offensive lineman um, before this is all said and done. Because I, I think that's an area that, that they see that has to be, I think you'll see a transfer uh, corner. I think you'll see a defensive back. And I think you'll see, um, you know, an offensive lineman, perhaps, because that, that is the position. I, one thing this year allowed them to do was evaluate what they have and what they don't. And, and the beauty of an eight-game season or seven-game season versus just the practice session is you really see it. You see where you're lacking. And, and, I, and I think they're very aware of, of their issues up front. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more transfers, to be honest. I mean, yep. you know, the, the, this is – I mean, he's talking about – possibly having a complete reset of who we see on the field come September 4th against Northwestern, assuming that's what and when it is, um, you know, that I wouldn't be surprised to see more. I mean, I, let's just talk on the offensive line. I mean, you know, Jarvis, Samak, and, and I think Duplain are guys that you look at and say, these guys are going to be here for a few years and, and the staff feels comfortable with them. But, um, you know, we don't know what our Curie's going to do. Um, is he's got a chance to come back for another year? Do they feel comfortable with him? Um, th- I think there's a number of other guys like that that are those upperclassmen. Um, a guy like Luke Campbell, for instance, who didn't play it, uh, at all this year. Um, does he leave? I mean, he's he started he started more games than anybody else. I think coming into the year, other than Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed's another guy. What is he going to do? I mean, this is a guy with 26 games in a row of starting experience until he opted out this year. I mean, there's. You know that I still think that there's there could be a lot more of the reset coming that we don't know yet, um, and it's hard for me to sit there and process and say and do a final evaluation and say okay this is going to be what to expect when you when they play next year because it, it's the wild west right now with the portal and you know they're going after running backs and they're going after quarterbacks and then two days later there's about five more in the portal. So I wonder about that too, Chris. Like the idea that you you don't want you don't want to strike too soon. I'm not saying anything's wrong with Anthony Russo, right? 
I think I think he was a, a I think he was a good pickup for the reason that he is um, he's done enough to show that he can start. I think at the big time level, he's got some uh, talent, no question. But he's also showed some flaws, and that he's not a guaranteed dude. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't chase every, it doesn't chase Peyton Thorne away. It doesn't. Um, but but you start to see some of these other guys become available in the portal in the days after. And I think you you have to and at other positions you can have more than one and things like that. But you start to wonder sometimes in terms of the timing of when to strike and relationships and, and identifying who your guy is. I think that's a tricky thing too. That you just don't know, uh, you know exactly who's going to be available. Well, now at a certain point, everybody who's going to be in the portal for now is going to be in the portal, right? You're not going to have guys. I don't think mid February jumping in the portal, but but you might again after spring practice. You might again, you know, what I mean, there could be movement late and. Uh, and the other thing, you talk about Jordan Reed. I mean, there's a chance, even though this line was not good this year, there are some promising young players in the line who aren't bad. If you add the right pieces, if Reed comes back, you know, if, if you, you, you've got a transfer to who already, you, you could wind up looking a lot more formidable really quickly. Or vice versa, you know, Reed could not come back. It could not, it could not work out. It could not, they could be, this could be still a long-haul project. And so it, you, it really is, as Chris was saying, very difficult to see uh, or, or project what it all that'll you know what it'll be. I do think though there is some hope that that group could be could be okay next year. Yeah, I mean we talk about the fluidity of it, and I mean it wouldn't surprise me to see another quarterback come in. To be honest, I mean you know I, I think there's there's two quarterbacks still on the roster that didn't see the field this year, and they're bringing in transfers, they're bringing in freshmen, um, they're scholarship quarterbacks that. If you didn't play this year, what makes you think you're going to play next year, the year after? I mean, you know that, you know, and as a coach and a coaching staff, you have to fill the room, and you want to fill the room with the best possible talent. So, you know, I, you know that's the that's the weird nature of we're we're covering something that hasn't uh, not just the pandemic situation here, but but also with the development of the portal, the the use of the portal as. Uh, is basically a recruiting tool or a free agent tool. And then on top of it, the extra years of eligibility that are coming. I mean, there's so many things that are, that are hitting in, in terms of a confluence that are changing college football right now that Mel Tucker is, I think, pretty keenly aware of and trying to keep Michigan State ahead of things. And that doesn't even, that doesn't even get into the fact that, that we start, you know, you, you add in the, the name, image, and likeness stuff, that, that will be coming down the line in these kids' college career and a, and a platform like Michigan State uh, in the Big Ten and on national TV can provide. I mean, there's, there's so many things that, that are changing quickly in college football that, I mean, if you aren't changing and adapting with the times and you're focused on ball control football from 10 years ago, you're going to get bypassed quickly. And I think that's, that's something that right now that, you know, it, it's – it's hard to really gauge what this team and roster is going to look like come the first spring practice, even. And I think you know, with seeing all these departures from the team shortly after it was announced that Michigan State would not play against Maryland, probably led to the decision by the team that by the players to not play in the bowl game either, because it certainly seems like there would have been an opportunity for the Spartans to play in a bowl game had had they truly wanted to. I mean, because they didn't play that last game and they had missed a game earlier this season, do you guys think they may have been better off getting one more game in, another chance to see Peyton Thorne? Or was just everything with all the – was there just so many people they already knew were leaving that it was just uh, we, we might as well just stop it now? I think it's, it's a Peyton Thorne question. It's 
different than a team question. Yeah. I mean, I think there was, there would be benefits to seeing, like, I, just my own curiosity, right? I wanted to see Thorne, how he fared in a, another game after the showing that quarter. What would be his follow up, right? Um, I, I think that was something that I wanted to see. I think it would have been beneficial to, to them, to him, everything. But the rest of the team was, was fatigued and they didn't, I, I don't know how many of the guys just based on transfer, but it was not, from my understanding, it was not, it was decisive that they were they were done, and I don't think when Mel Tucker mentioned the bowl game that he um, really had a pulse on that. Now, th- what's interesting about the situations as they unfolded with bowls, it's clear they would have had a chance probably. Um, and you, you yeah, wonder if they three and seven, you know, right? And you wonder what the Army situation, you know, when there was a bowl game that was canceled in, in Annapolis because they didn't have another team. And, you know, if somebody had said to any of these teams opting out, hey, you can play a 9-2 and two Army team. People hate playing Army because of their style, but you can play an Army team that's um, – that would be a kind of a prestigious moment, you know, and people would look at that. Well, you could play Army in Annapolis and a game in a week. And, and yeah, I, there might be a team somewhere. I don't think it was Michigan State that would have thought of things a little differently. But that's hard to project for kids. I, I just think they didn't – you know, these guys have been at it since June – this is the opportunity to go home for Christmas. You don't get, and I don't think, frankly, for the program overall, there's a ton of extra value in one week of practice for an overnight trip somewhere uh, other than like Peyton Thorne. They knew what they had everywhere else. And 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 that the, the Peyton Thorne element made the Maryland game interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, wh- what do you get out of playing, you know, another like-minded team somewhere in some game? I mean, uh, it, I I think these guys were ready to be ready to be done. I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think that, you know, they're also, I think, you know, on Tuesday, Mel Tucker was adamant about playing. And then all of a sudden on Thursday, he yeah. resigned to not playing. So, I mean, there was a little bit, I think, with the players, I'm sure there was probably some pressure from the university too, because they're, they, you know, bowl games, especially lower tier bowl games are losing propositions. Well, the other and thing, from, from what I had a short trip, I understand, but, um, you know, it, 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 but it's just another road game. There's no experience there for the kids. And, and in fairness to Tucker, when he talks to us on Tuesday is before their first real practice of the week. And, um, and, uh, so that was, let's see, then the game was canceled Thursday, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly on, you know, but I, I think they were, they were ready to be. Those, those well, and kids. I think the roster factor too. I mean, you had the opt outs of, of yep. Kerr Brown, you had Naquan Jones, you had, Eventually, by the end of the week, which I'd heard on Monday was going to happen, was Antoine Simmons. Um, you know, they, those guys probably wouldn't even have played in the Maryland game. So, right, you know, and that's it, that's, it, that's telling that's a mindset. Depth, I mean, that's, yes, that, and that's yeah. significant depth too. I mean, yeah. you know, those are guys with NFL futures, um, or or at least a chance to play in the NFL, and they, their body of work's there. They don't, they didn't need any any more to show at this point. They're 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 showing needs to be at the combine needs to be in the senior bowls against comparable talent that are draft eligible. Um, what, what good do they have playing against the UAB, for example? Um, there there's, would have been no benefit for them. It would have been for the younger players, but you also had all these guys going into the portal. And if you're already promising a reset, I mean, a lot of these things came after finals week. Uh, I think that's important to understand too, is those, those kids that are, that are leaving, want to get involved in their new programs and get involved in their new academics as quickly as possible. And you have to. Um, so, you know, I, I do though think that the Christmas factor is, is a big thing because 
like you said, they had been on campus since June. They'd already gone through one program shutdown. You've seen a number of programs already going through shutdowns now that that got into bowl games. That you know, it, you know, it, it's it, it's the, the potential for disruption and and you know, cost benefit analysis. There is, is kind of like we're probably better off just letting these guys rest and get back at it as quickly as possible for the the single greatest, toughest, hardest most intense, grueling, relentless, whatever you want to call it, off-season in the history of humankind, I think is how Mel Tucker put it. I may be paraphrasing that. I know. I think that is a great way to end the football segment here with that Mel Tucker quote. And uh, let's let's shift here to basketball. And, oh, boy, do we have way more to talk about regarding the Michigan State Northwestern game than we probably figured we would at any point here. I, I kind of want to hit a few of these talking points. Um, well, this is by far the Spartans' worst performance of the year on all sides, offensively, defensively. And I don't think, boy, I don't think anybody expected Michigan State to lose, all alone in the fashion that they did. We also saw Joey Hauser suffer a knee injury in the first half. Uh, he did come back, though. We'll see what happens there. But the two things I want to know about is, I mean, those there were non-conference games, especially the one against Detroit, where Michigan State really struggled to put those teams away. And I think we mostly ignored those and ignored the signs there that may have been there because of the way they beat Duke at Duke and now maybe it turns out maybe Duke isn't as good as we thought so maybe we ignored those signs and then uh Tom Izzo's playing rotation I mean he played uh, you know his normal amount of guys and against Northwestern and that ended up might have come to bite him in the kind of bite him back a little bit there so I don't know if if there just needs to be a shakeout into how they're playing treating the center position or maybe some of the other rotations or whatnot uh uh Chris or Graham I'll have you go first uh what really stood out for you and where do you want to talk about from the Northwestern loss well yeah I mean there are there are a number of things I mean they, they played poorly it was, it was, you know Northwestern's a better team than 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 I realized and they had only played one game against the real opponent and that made it hard to judge them and they've got a good backcourt they've added a couple guards um, they've got some skill in the, the forwards and all that stuff, but pound for pound, Michigan State's a better team, and and they're a better team when you look at their top six. And the the problem I think Michigan State has right now with rotation is they they, they don't really have an identity, they don't have role definition, they don't have, um, and 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 they have lineups they put in there where they don't have any of the advantages they can have with their top six, if that makes any sense. So like. That you know, when you put a lineup in there, when Joey Hauser, he obviously got hurt in this game a little bit, but when Joey Hauser and Thomas Kithier and Foster Lawyer are on the floor, and you're trying to get back in a game, you're, you're just not going to do it um, because defensively you don't, you know, they, they've got to create the advantage. They have some advantages over people, and and I also don't blame Izzo though for wanting. Certain guy like the, the Kithier thing is interesting. He is a lightning rod for people. There's always that guy. He is almost Kenny Goins-ish sophomore year, right at this point. And and I get it because he is he is solid. He's at the in the right place. That's why he plays so often. Um, he has some, some limitations that that um, that are are always going to be there. I get why with Bingham though uh, that they want to they want to give him every opportunity. When you look at who, what he can be from a length and skill set, they want that guy to be something for them. It is fascinating how little Marvel has played when I think he's been their best big man to this point. And uh, now he also gets lost here and there, and he doesn't do everything perfectly. But I think just physically, he has been your best big man to this point. And so I, I am what 
this was a early uh, the December Big Ten game on the road that when Izzo's still evaluating, and they they have these duds all the time. They they had a dud at Michigan in February, in which I wrote that they didn't have enough shooters, scores, depth, or whatever to compete. And then two weeks later, they looked like the best team in the country. So things change with Izzo's team. I just if you take their top six guys and you only played six in this game, despite the size problems, I think they win the game regardless of anything. And I think they've got to start using the guys that give them an advantage more. That would be my take on it. Yeah, two guys in particular for me are Gabe Brown and Malik Hall. Um, yeah. You know, those two guys in particular. Um, the, the athletic difference from what I saw from the Northwestern players was significant. Now that said, um, it, it took quite a, it took quite a bit for uh, for for them to get uh, Malik Hall going. Um, you know that the first half was flat. I mean, defensively they were terrible, and Rocket Watts got blown away a number of times off the dribble by Boo Booey. Um, that should be that is to me one of the bigger, more significant things. Um, what exactly do you? Do you see right now with uh, from a defensive standpoint that's that's lacking? Um, it's not just that; it's the interior defense as well, uh, because Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern. Okay, Pete Nance, solid player, but shouldn't be eating up your big guys, your your four and five star big guys in the paint. Um, and he was, and you know they they struggled from the get go defensively. Um, you know the missed shots. That's something that can happen any night, but defense travels, right? And and for them, to, and I think going back to that Detroit game, um, uh, you know, you, you saw point guards have, have been pretty good against Michigan State. They, they, they've been taking them and they've been aggressive. Um, so they got to figure something out there because Rocket Watts is the guy that's got to be there um, if he's not playing well offensively, and he did not play well offensively at all against Northwestern. I mean, there were moments of frustration where he was, him and Izzo were going back and forth. At one point, Josh Langford pulled Rocket Watts to the side and had a, a heart-to-heart with him um, way away from the coaches. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm actually writing about that because I do think the veterans like like Langford and, and Aaron Henry are are starting to, to kind of take on that mold of, of those those player coach teams that Izzo loves to have, but but even Tom said it after the game is like, you know, words are only so much. Are you going to do it? Are you going to show the energy? You're going to, you know, respect your scouting report and follow what you were taught all week for this game. I mean, that's you know that's you know if there was a message that was being sent after that game from Izzo, um, those were the messages that were there, and that goes to his leaders too. I mean, Langford getting that fifth foul. Um, you know, and, and picking up a fourth foul when they were cutting it to ten. I mean, they didn't get it inside of double digits in the second half. They were they were beaten pretty soundly by that Northwestern team. And you know, I, I do think though, one thing that going on the road to Northwestern, you know, that's typically a game where you have a ton of Michigan State fans, probably more than Northwestern fans. I, I think that 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 hurt Michigan State in some ways um, because they didn't bring the energy and effort. And they had no one else to pick them up but themselves, and they couldn't do it. The, the thing that I, I, I'll find very interesting in the Wisconsin game, um, because I think this MSU team plays a little better up. I think Rocket Watts um, playing, you know, Rock, Rocket Watts right now is a guy who you can tell he badly wanted to see the ball in the bucket. 
and he made a couple bad decisions because of it, and it affected his other side of the ball. Although I, you know, I don't, he just didn't seem to be as into Boo Booey as he should have been. Watts, I think, will, will bounce back, but he's a guy that they, they're not going to win anything big unless he's a really good player. You listen to Mike Krzyzewski and what he had to say about Rocket Watts and how he changes it. He's the guy that they fear. He's the guy other teams fear. Uh, the, you can argue that their best players are either Aaron Henry or Joey Hauser based on the versatility and the, uh, the different things they do for them. But the guy teams fear is Rocket Watts, I think. And, and so they need, you know, they need a bounce back. And I have a feeling, you know, a quick look at Brad Davidson and Demetri Trice will get um, Rocket Watts going a little bit. Um, and, you know, that, that'll be an interesting game, uh, not because it's all determinative, but just because you don't want certain characteristics to become part of who you are as a team, right? You, drop, you blow one big lead, you lose a game, that's one thing. Everybody does it. If it becomes something where you can't hold on a – to a uh, you know a ten point lead in the final five minutes, all of a sudden you're you're the nineteen ninety three Judd Heathcote Spartans, right? So, um, but so you don't want some of these things to become inherent in who you are. Um, I'm very curious to see how they bounce back. Izzo teams always, not always, but often run into strife. Um, I still think this team, pound for pound, is very very talented capable of doing big things and they've got to find a rotation is though is though you know he's he's messing with hogard right now and and look i don't i i, I get that you want to see if that guy can help you um you know he's he hasn't figured out his big guys yet and i get that because he's not sure if any of them are playing at the level that he wants and i would you know argue that he's got one who sort of is um but it, it, at some point you know he, you got to go with your best dude more often. And Gabe, to Chris's point, Gabe Brown and Malik Hall have been two really good players. Hall has played plenty. I, I think Gabe, more Gabe Brown uh, might be part of the answer, too. I think he's earned that. And so I'm curious to see what Izzo does with a little reflection. You know, Izzo Izzo's not somebody who, who, who who's he's a stubborn dude, but he's not so stubborn that he he won't see it. Now, coaches don't always see it right away. And I'll say this about Kith here, and this is going to drive people nuts. Coaches love guys who are in the right place. When I covered Western Michigan, there was a kid named Derek Fracalosi, a preferred walk-on. And I'm going to tell you right now, every time he was jumping at a shooter to defend it, like a three-point shooter, he followed the guy. I, I, I would have swear it was 47 times in one year, I could swear. I always wondered, why does this guy play so much? Average like 2.1 a game. Didn't seem to do a ton for you. And the coach saw him as a glue guy. So I'm always in the right place. And Guys who are always in the right place, and Gabe Brown is not always in the right place. Um, uh, George, uh, you know, Julius Marble, not always in the right place. Guys who enact the scouting report correctly, enact the defense and offense correctly, are endeared in coaches' hearts. And, and so yeah, I know people get frustrated with Kid here, but I, he's going to play because he, the, unless the other guys do the things uh, that he does. 50 minutes or so was your your uh, mark for the Western comparison. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's not going to happen. I mean, you could have gone with you could have gone with Colby Wollman or Kenny Goins. I mean, those, yeah, those, those but, are guys that, that were in there for that reason alone. You yeah, know, but those Goins guys obviously had a little more talent. The the difference the in now than the Colby situation or even the Kenny sophomore year situation is like Izzo didn't have any other choice that Kenny year, right? I mean, 
it was Nick Ward and him. They had two dudes, and people get frustrated because they wanted Ward to play 40 minutes. But but now you look at the roster, and you're like, I mean, if, if Matty Satuko was around in 2016, 17, he would have played a lot at that center position, right? And and so they were they they actually have some guys this year. Like they didn't have a Julius Marble back then. Marble would have. They never, Kenny Goins, in fact, I think if Julius Marble had been on that roster, Kenny Goins never would have played a minute at center. You know, they would have kept him at power forward. And so uh, this is a little different because there, there seem to be other guys and other options. And yet, if you if you just watch Kithier play and, and just watch him, and I know it's not typically the way we watch basketball, but if you just watch him for a few minutes, you, you'll see some of the things that that Izzo likes about him. The problem is when somebody's coming downhill at him, he can't protect the rim. When you're going on the glass, he doesn't always get the ball because you know, he has short arms. I know all about having short arms. It's not fun. Yeah, um, but it's all, there's also so there an are, offensive end, if you watch it. There's deficiencies there. I mean, he took the ball up into uh, number 31, I think it was Barron for Northwestern, and just got knocked backward five feet while Barron was going straight up and down. I mean, you know, you got to be able to have the physical ability and, and skill set, the power through contact or get around it when you're attacking the basket. And, you know, he caught some balls in that game under the basket and was skittish and, and couldn't go up, couldn't get around the, the defenders. Um, so that I think that also plays a factor. As much as the, the defensive end is important for Izzo for the, from that standpoint, you know, you're, you are sacrificing some on the offensive end when you have kids here in there as opposed to some of those other guys. So we, we talked about how you think Michigan State's going to respond after the loss. I kind of want to see what North or what Wisconsin does. I mean, they just absolutely destroyed a pretty decent Louisville team over the weekend here. So, I mean, is this a Wisconsin team that is going to roll in here on Christmas Day and steamroll the Spartans, or, or can the Spartans rebound and, you know, figure out a way to slow down this Wisconsin team? Well, let's see what they do to uh, – Tuesday night against Nebraska first. Um, you know, obviously that's not exactly the, the same level of comparison to, to Louisville, but, you know, when you get into Big Ten play, as you saw from Northwestern, uh, things get amplified. And I do think that across the board that, that the talent level is significantly better in the Big Ten than, than most other conferences right yeah. now. Um, but, but this Wisconsin team is a veteran group. Um, they've got – guys that can score in all three levels and they're tough so i mean if you come out like you did against northwestern it's not just going to be a 10 point 13 point game at halftime it could be bigger if you don't come out firing and showing the the exact same kind of energy and intensity that you did maybe in the first three minutes of the second half in that game yeah, I, I'm with you. And like I think in a normal situation where this is a packed Breslin Center and going nuts, this this would have this would have the makings of a game where MSU got right. Right, uh, Izzo teams after a bad performance are good are good bats usually. And uh, I think you'll see a guy like um, Rocket Watts locked in. Um, you, you'll see some. You know, you'll see a determined team. I what will be interesting to see is where they lose in matchups. Like the one thing I'd like to see from Izzo. And he he will tell me not to coach his team, and but he's not going to listen to this, so that's fine. Uh, but coach him, Graham. You, well, you, you know the, the thing you have to you have to do is understand that it's not just taking out like putting in Foster Lawyer, and I think he's played well. It, there's a direct correlation with 
how the rest of your team looks in terms of imposing an athleticism. Like when, when Foster Lawyer comes in, who your other four guys still matter, even if he's playing better. Um, you know, when, you know, and that, that when you, Kithier, to me, Kithier and Lawyer should never be on the court together. They shouldn't because you just, you just, if, if you just lose too many athletic advantages all at once. And I'm going to tell so, you, so you want you want you want basically the Clarkston senior year when when Kithier had to sit out. <laughs> I, yeah, all I'm saying is confidence is a big part of basketball. And when you when a big man sees Kithier and when a point guard sees Foster Lawyer, an opposing team, they get a lot of confidence. Whether that's warranted or not, I don't know. But like basketball is a game of confidence, and when people don't bother what you're trying to do. You get more confident. Other teams get more confident. And Lawyer is an absolute necessary part of things. He's played a lot better. He's a guy they need as a, as a counter to who Rocket Watts is. He, he is an ideal in some certain scenarios. But when he comes in, there is an effect. And, and I think they need to make sure they recognize that effect. And, uh, and you know, who, who's – now, that said, I think the disappointment to this part of this year so far, and I think they would tell you, has been Marcus Bingham. And they, they've not gotten out of him what they hoped. And that's, that's created some some decision. Like I think they thought they were going to be okay there. And um, it, that, that has not happened. And they want it to happen because, uh, you know, I did a piece with Draymond Green the other day, and he was specifically talking about Bingham, unprompted, just what he, he sees him as a pro prospect. Like they, there are things with him that are you go, God, that guy ought to be really good. And then when you see somebody who's six eight and low to the ground just scoring over him at will, you're going, "Why is that happening?" And so uh, I, I think that's that's an issue that you know they, they need. At some point, you just have to realize that he is what he is. Um, but is, is he playing out of position? Do you think he's playing out of position right now? Should he be a four? Well, he can't guard a four though. You know that's the problem. Right. He can't. You that's, know, that's that a big problem. He can't. He does. He's not quick enough. He. I've seen people with you know, when you have those sort of legs right There's not a lot of muscle up in there like those are not quick people generally he is not built like jaron jackson in terms of his leg mass and his muscle there and he is not an overly first step lateral quick guy and that's why julius marble is much quicker was a better solution against duke right he was the guy that came in and had that great game but a lot of that that was i mean he had a great offensive game but the reason he was so necessary is on the defensive end he could guard a guy who was out at the perimeter and and um so what will become interesting with, with Bingham is when they face Kofi Coburn and when they face Luca Garza, and, and again, these are guys that MSU is going to have to help on as well, but who is the best matchup for a sizable Big Ten? And, and Wisconsin is not small, um, but they've also got bigs. Uh, you know, Michael Potter is more of an interior guy, but they've also got bigs who, you know, pull you out a little bit, and that's that's something that Bingham has struggled with. It does lead to the Joey Hauser injury a little bit too against Wisconsin because I do think that you know a home state game um, you, you kind of want him at 100 percent. You know Izzo after the game said that he didn't really know exactly where he was and Hauser was trying and loosening as often and as much as he could uh, with that left knee along with the right knee. Now um, you know, but you also have to protect him for the long haul of the season. So I don't know what ends up happening with that. Um, that's going to be something to keep an eye on uh, come Christmas Day. Yes, speaking of Christmas Day, that is when Michigan State and Wisconsin will play. I'm sorry to both of you and myself. We all have to work on Christmas Day. I'm not sure how we're all feeling about that. I'm sure at, uh, you know 2020 is a weird year, and uh, we have to be away from our families for not just because of the pandemic, but because we also have to work. So 
I don't know. Are you guys feeling okay about that, or do you hate that they scheduled this game on Christmas Day? Yeah. I, I do have kids, and I have a lot of yeah. feelings about it because I think this was this was a Big Ten cash grab. When they thought that the NBA was was going to be off for Christmas Day, they thought they could slide in on that window, and now they're going to be up against the NBA. Um, I, I think the Big Ten erred dramatically on this one. This is this, this is a personal thing. I think you know you're asking these kids to sacrifice quite a bit as it is, and now on top of it, you're doing that. And I get that they weren't going to be aw- they weren't going to be able to spend time with their family as well, but. But, you know, this is the first time in 100-some years of, of basketball at Michigan State that they're going to have a Christmas Day game. There's a reason why they didn't previously. I'm torn on that, to be honest. Like, I, I do think that there is, like, for us, it's, it's an inconvenience. But you don't do things for writers. I mean, if our lives are blessed enough. I'm not like we're – I don't feel – what how it affects us on Christmas Day should have no bearing on their decision. I do feel bad for other people who have to work it, and I do feel bad for – um, any kid who would rather not play, I'm a little torn because, like, if, if I were a college student who wasn't going to be able to go home anyway, like, I don't know that I'd want to do anything but play ball, right? Like, I don't know, uh, you know, and I get that some kids have said that they don't want to play, but if you weren't going to go see your family anyway, I don't know that it's the great loss. And, and, and frankly, like, I love the NBA. I love the NBA playoffs. I have never watched an NBA game on Christmas Day in my life. I would much rather watch Big Ten hoops this time of the year. And so, like, I think they're different audiences largely anyway. I think of anything in a state like this, the NBA kills the NBA. This is a college state. And, and so, I mean, people, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm watching college hoops over the NBA in December uh, 10 times out of 10. So, uh, I, again, I, I think it wasn't. Here, let, me ask you, let me ask you this then. Why, why, why didn't the Big Ten schedule any basketball games on New Year's Day? Well, because then they got football, though. Right. Football. It's, it's, yeah. all about, it's all about uh, television eyeballs and cash that comes with it. Well, again, I'm not saying it's not about, about. I'm not saying it's not about money. I just think, in this circumstance, I don't quite have the problem with it. I mean, personally, I'm not thrilled. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. Um, but I, I also think that in this circumstance, it wasn't as all like any other year. It would be an awful decision, just awful, and. Because if like it, just as bad as playing in a tournament in Hawaii over Christmas that some coaches do in the Diamond Head Classic, you want to bet against a team in February that's falling apart. Look at the teams in the Diamond Classic that start to lose in January. Then you bet against them in five because those kids didn't get to go home; they get sick of each other, and, and it's important kids get away from each other. This year it's a little different, so I don't love it. It's it doesn't look great, but I, I also don't. Well, I do think the one thing it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I know they've been talking about having parents and families in the stands because I believe the state orders now allow for, I think, around 250 people uh, to attend these games. Um, to me, it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic is, uh, if that does come to fruition on Christmas Day, because um, it could be one of two things. It could be uh, an emotional lift or it can be uh, a distraction. So. Totally. Totally. Certainly, I mean, especially when you haven't played in front of your family and friends, uh, or basically your family in months and and, and since March, um, you know, the, the, do you press too much because you want to impress them? Because it's a big game on Christmas Day. I don't know. I mean, it's you know, there there definitely are factors that come into play with that, though. 
Entirely, especially if it's a family-only crowd, like you get chewed out by Izzo, you get benched, you get things like that. This don't, you know, it can affect you more if your mom and dad are like thirty feet away, you know, and and versus if they're on TV and you I don't. don't I, I don't think they'll be that close, but still, it's, they'll, it's, be, in the, it's they'll very be in the they'll be in the green. They'll be in the green chair backs, though, right? The, I mean, maybe fifty feet, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, it's a, a, a ways up. I was gonna say that's part of the the thing that that the athletes are trying to have to navigate is you can't really be around your families. Uh, so they're going to be there for Christmas, but you're not going to be able to have them outside of the locker room. You're not going to be able to have Christmas dinner with them probably because they're trying to keep a bubble. I mean, you know, those, those things are weird. I mean, there's weird dynamics that go along with all this stuff for, for playing on Christmas day for, for this reason. All right, Graham, what is your prediction for Friday's game? I'm going to take MSU. Um, I just don't. I, I don't love this Wisconsin team. And, and look, Wisconsin—it's a good season team. I think MSU's got a higher ceiling. I think they'll. I think they'll bounce back effort-wise. Um, the, the one thing—the family dynamic—is interesting and in how it changes stuff. You know, I, give me give me MSU like by you know six seven points. I, I think I'm going to go the other way and take Wisconsin in this one. Um, it's just the weird dynamics coming out of the Northwestern game, and I think there's a lot of issues that, that need to be solved from a defensive standpoint. I, you know, The one thing I do think, though, that, that helps MSU is I don't think necessarily that Wisconsin has one of those uh, top-flight top aggressive point guards that's going to put Rocket Walk watch back on his heels but i think it's going to be a real close game but i think i'd take wisconsin by like two all right well i hope you guys have a happy holidays and uh, a merry christmas and uh thank you guys for coming on here uh after after the ad read we will have nate atkins and we'll talk about a little michigan state football thanks guys wow what a week of college football some of those games were thrillers, like the Florida-Alabama game on Saturday night and, perhaps a little surprisingly, Northwestern and Ohio State. Uh, I don't think the Buckeyes expected that game to quite go the way it did, but uh, they ended up pulling out and they're heading to the college football playoff. I hope you guys had some time to relax and crack open a Mountain Cold Coors Light. It's the one beer that's literally made to chill. The mountains on Coors Light's cold-activated bottles can turn blue when chilled to perfection. So now we know who the four teams are for the college football playoff. It should be a couple of great games on New Year's Day. Make sure your refrigerator is stocked with plenty of Coors Light. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step process. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, so it's literally made to chill. When you need a moment to chill, choose Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find your local delivery options. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Nate, you got to throw back some Coors beers in celebratory fashion this weekend with your with your Browns winning another game and looking good for the playoffs potentially. For once in my life, they're actually earning it. Uh, first 10-win season for them since I was a wee little sophomore in high school trying to play defensive end, pretending that I could someday be like a Miles Garrett who's now, you know, key in this whole thing. So I, it all kind of comes full circle and it makes me proud. I think it's hilarious. Uh, maybe not hilarious. It does make me a little more sad as well that the Browns could still miss the playoffs by go, even if they go 11-5. and five. 
if everyone else wins out too, I forget what the I forget which teams it is. The yeah, t- it's, it's all tight. if all the other teams that are in the wild card hunt just win their last two games and the Browns lose to the Steelers, yeah. then they're out at eleven and five. It's crazy. Which, what a, that would be so cruel to the to the Browns. It, it would be fitting too because this would be a year where eleven and five Browns team gets left out in like the six and ten Washington football yeah. team is <laughs> hosting a playoff game. <laughs> yeah, four seed. Washington football team going for that four seed at home playoff game, baby. As yeah. a as a as a lifelong Washington football team fan for for better or for worse, uh, it has been a roller coaster season for for myself here. Yeah, they're going to end up starting some quarterback we've never heard of. We wanted to talk about two of uh, Michigan State's more high profile names to join the program here in the uh, maybe the past week or so, and uh, we're going to talk about QB transfer Anthony Russo from Temple and the four-star linebacker the Spartans nabbed uh, in the 2021 recruiting class, Ma Nauteote. I think I got it right this time. Wow. Nah. Yeah. Now, so now you already Te-te. prepared more than I did, though, because I cannot get that name down. Yeah. So I'm glad. Well, I, bumble, I bumbled it up Dude. like seven times last week, so I've got, got it, nothing but master at this point. Uh, but anyway, let's, uh, let's start with uh, Michigan State's new QB, Anthony Nero. So he will be – he is a graduate transfer – from Temple, and this will be his sixth year uh, playing college football because he redshirted at some point at Temple and did the full five years there, and now he's doing one more season here at Michigan State. Uh, I've got to believe that he was recruited. I don't know if promise is the right word, but definitely with an angling towards being the starter in East Lansing next year. Now, I don't know if that will actually happen or not. Maybe Peyton Thorne beats him out for the job next year. But let's just talk about Russo's game a little bit and, and what he would bring to the Spartans. He's he's an interesting player because, uh, you know, it's like we we watched Michigan State play this year and, and we saw Rocky Lombardi start. And, you know, obviously that it was good against Michigan and then it didn't pan out. But what I kind of took away from Russo is he's in some ways kind of like a, a much more experienced and – I guess just bigger and slightly better version of Lombardi. I mean, you see some similarities just in, in kind of their large build. I mean, Russo is 6'4", 240, so he's got about 15 pounds on Lombardi, but they're you know, this kind of larger-sized quarterback. And uh, you know, he has an ability to get the ball downfield, and he's willing to take these shots, and he's not afraid to do it. And, um, and it kind of fits you know, that idea that Michigan State's trying to perpetuate of you know, we want to win vertically and we're not afraid to take these shots and we got receivers we believe in to make those plays. And so we need quarterbacks who are willing to do it. And if there's one thing about Russo's career is he's willing to take shots. Now that comes with, you know, positives and negatives. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's thrown 32 interceptions and mm. kind of what I noticed mm. is over time, it, it's one of those where, you know, the interceptions just come in bunches for him. He'll go in streaks where he's, He's playing really well and has some four touchdown games and it's, you know, that looks like a locked in experienced big armed quarterback. And then some games he's just getting fooled and he's starting to force the ball into coverage. And I think a lot of it just has to do with kind of what Temple needed at the time. And he tries to make more plays that maybe are there for him and for his team. So it was interesting to watch kind of the way his career unfolded because um, kind of had a tough first year uh, after he redshirted. He was a sophomore 14 touchdowns and 14 picks in 2018. Um, but then the next year, you know, he's able to get 21 touchdowns and 12 picks. And it's still not all there for him. Yards per attempt dropped, and it wasn't as explosive, but he's taking care of the ball a lot better. And then this past year, and, and again, it's a weird year to try to evaluate players, but it, it didn't come together very well for him. He had, 
you know, some good games where he had some four touchdown performances, but he ended up with nine touchdowns, six picks. And I just, I noticed they really scaled things back. I mean, when it got to third down, it was like they did not want to risk any turnovers with him. And it started to look like what things looked like with Rocky Lombardi um, kind of late in his time before they went to Peyton Thorne. So I don't know if this is maybe a time for a fresh start that helps him out. And maybe obviously they believe they can put something better around him to where he doesn't have to be the hero with his arm and just can kind of use it as a strength. But it's there's certainly a boomer bust potential to this kind of guy. But the, your your analysis to me was not was not very encouraging uh, in any way whatsoever. If if this is a senior, I mean, this is sort of a Rocky Lombardi situation where if this is a situation where they are trying to scale back what he's trying to do as a senior and not as a freshman. Why, what does Michigan State even see in this guy in the first place to think that? Yeah, this is the guy that can take our program up another step that we need to get from where we are right now. I mean, are they better off with him than than Lombardi slash Thorne? I mean, obviously Lombardi has since yeah, uh, transferred, um, so but so it's I guess Thorne. Well, again, I think in the equation now. The one clear difference, like I said, with him him and Lombardi is, I mean, this is a guy who's he's played twenty seven games. I mean, Lombardi stepped in there with two starts, um, so there is like a and you see kind of his experience and he he reads the field pre snap decently well it's just kind of on these third down plays he tends to force it and what they're trying to decide is is he forcing these plays because the plays aren't designed very well and it's temple and maybe they don't have kind of the structure and he's almost trying to do too much for this team that i mean they play in a tough conference and they would go up against you know a memphis or a central florida these really pretty good teams that he felt like he had to do a little bit more against it was memphis he you know he had some troubles with but it also, I can't just say that he would he would struggle against teams like South Florida, which won one game this past season. So, um, as far as like why are they after him, I, I just think in their minds, I mean, they think they can they can unlock something more in him. I think they think if they get him out of uh, the setting where he's kind of haunted by these past mistakes, and they get him into what they they may not come out and say, but they certainly believe is a more advanced quarterback friendly offense than uh, what Rod Carey had put him into a temple, then they can unlock something. You got to remember he was recruited by Matt rule at temple. And I think that's a guy you can say certainly has an eye for quarterbacks. He never got to play for Matt rule. He played for two different head coaches, Jeff Collins and Rod Carey. And, you know, it, it just didn't, especially when it moved to Rod Carey, it just didn't kind of take off the way they wanted it to. But I think, you know, Mel Tucker really trusts Jay Johnson and, and what he sees in quarterbacks and, their idea is going to be bring this guy into spring ball and and let him get reps and let's let's fix a little bit of of what's going on here with just the decision making and the vision. Let him see the field a little bit better. Um, yes, it's it's definitely a risk though, and I think this is just kind of speaks to the weird spot Michigan State was in trying to get a transfer quarterback because number one, you haven't succeeded, you haven't proven these things that you want to be yet. Yes, you've had some splash plays of Jalen Naylor, but this isn't a setting where a quarterback just says, I'm going to step in and win. But also you have Peyton Thorne who showed enough in his last game that, I mean, some guys are going to look at this and think, is that a guaranteed spot for me? Or, you know, am I going to have a quick leash and could I lose that battle? Do they already like Peyton Thorne? It's kind of a, kind of a weird spot. Um, So there's certainly an argument. There were other good quarterbacks in the transfer market. I think they could have waited for, but you got to consider this. This is the one year where rosters are going to go from 85 scholarships up to 100 uh, because they're freezing eligibility. 
So that's why all the rooms are just going to get more crowded than they should be. You're willing to take on more chances. This, to me, is just a real swing. This is, can we get him in spring ball? We love the 6'4 size. We love the arm strength. We love the experience and the moxie. Can we fix some of these areas in a spring and non-conference setting? And if we can't, then, yeah, they're going to go to somebody else. So with all the stuff, I don't know how much we've really talked about his arm strength at all. I mean, how does it compare to Rocky or Peyton Thorne or even, if you want to go back to a year ago, Brian Lewerke? I think it's better than all of them. Okay. I guess it's similar to Rocky. Um, Rocky's the closest to it. He just has a he has a, a developed arm because I mean you're talking about a guy who's, he's not only six four two forty but he's been doing this for six years now. Uh, this is going to be his sixth year in college. This is incredible. But you know the difference between him and Peyton Thorne is he is, I mean he is going for he's going for it down the field and he's yeah. sometimes he overthrows guys. I mean that's been part of the issue too. Is it's just an inconsistent deep ball. The way I kind of describe it is he he just he needs to learn to put touch on his passes. I mean, he or he needs to learn to get air under his passes. I mean, he's got the like straight line. He can just zip it into the second row of the bleachers. What he's got to learn to do is allow his receivers to run underneath it. And this happens both in intermediate throws and in, in long throws. And where those picks kind of have come up sometimes is that he tries to go down the field and he just kind of like straight shoots it at a guy. And it's just always in the line of sight for defenders in zone guys can get up and get to it it's not over their heads if you can add a little bit more air to it then you know i think this is where you could see an arm really come to life that's going to be the number one thing they're trying to fix is can we change his release a little bit can we change the launch point of his throws get more air under the ball because they they believe i think they believe that the the strength and the uh the confidence is there for him um it was almost more like temple's confidence wavered in him but if if they're We've seen Michigan State wants to take shots, and so, but they're not going to live with a million turnovers. So it's again, it's going to be another Rocky type uh, experiment. But the difference is this guy has played a lot of football. It's not yeah. one turnover is going to just get him down in the dumps and scared. I mean, he's gone through the the one advantage to the turnovers and issues he's had is he's been through it. He's not going to freak out when it happens. It's just about making it happen less. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Michigan State fan, you just want to hope that short to intermediate game. Uh, is better than what we saw with Lombardi this past season. And I think that's the biggest difference here. He does have an intermediate game. And and one thing that worked for him that I thought they should have done more at Temple was get him get him kind of moving when he throws. He's not a real fast player, but he just has a way that when he steps into it and he can throw a fastball to a guy, I mean, that's where the ball gets from point A to point B really well. When he locks on one target, um, you know, you think about play action or just rollouts and you you've got a primary target and he's open almost by the play design. That's where he's just kind of money and he can just laser these 15 yard throws. I mean, he can do it for touchdowns, for first downs. Do you think outs and comebacks? Those are the type of plays Rocky just could never get down. He couldn't handle sideline throws. Ryan Lewerke at times has struggled with sideline throws. This is a guy who can who can hit those sideline throws. I mean, he's better at that than trying to to kind of place it down the field over defenders. So it's about getting guys open with the play design, but he he can handle it, that aspect of it, and kind of move this in a tempo offense better than I think what they've seen so far. Yeah, and Michigan State will enter, uh, at the moment, the 2021 season with five quarterbacks. You have, you'll have you uh, have Russo, you will have Peyton Thorne, uh, Theo Day, Noah Kim, and then uh, the new recruit coming in, Hampton Fay. We'll see if that quarterback room stays at five or if we see that room grow or possibly even detract by one. 
at some point. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, let's move on from the quarterback position. Let's uh, go to the defensive side of the ball and talk about uh, Michigan State's new four-star linebacker, Ma Nauteete. He is uh, most recently played at Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, and he was a USC commit for, I believe, over two years or somewhere around the two-year mark. But Michigan State was able to flip him on signing day, and there have been rumors in the week or two leading up to signing day that he was going to flip anyway. So they didn't necessarily come out of nowhere on signing day, but uh, Nate, you were able to get at least take a little bit of a look at the film on him or his highlights uh, and whatnot. And what are your impressions of now Teote? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting player because he was so locked into USC so early. There's just not as much film on him available to, to people like you and me, but I was able to look at some, especially from his junior year. And I mean, this is your classic kind of bullet type linebacker. This guy who just kind of, uh, can just kind of track it on a, a ball carrier and just hit him with force and, and get him down the backfield. It's a guy you can blitz off the edge, blitz through the middle, but also kind of have as almost a Range Rover on zone coverage that kind of warns receivers, you know, don't come into my zone. You know, I can light you up when you go for the ball. So it's kind of a player they're going to have to kind of rein in a little bit because he plays so fast out mm. there and it's really worked in the, you know, at the high school level and, um, so it'd be interesting to see how it totally transitions in a, in the Big Ten where the runners are bigger. And um, one thing I never saw him do just in the limited film, I'm not saying he can't, but I haven't seen him uh, shed blocks and get off of them. You know, he's 220 pounds, kid that plays so fast that that's going to be, that's always the next kind of level for him. And I know his, you know, he was going to go to USC to follow uh, his brother, I think it's Palai, uh, who was an incredible freshman linebacker for USC. I mean, he was a guy that was out there doing that all the time where he would just shoot into the backfield and blow these running backs up and blow these quarterbacks up when they'd try and keep the ball on an option. And um, and he was doing all of that stuff. Now, that's a guy who's – he's listed 30 pounds heavier, though. He's at 250 coming out, and, and, and Ma's at 220. And 220 is not light for a linebacker, but I just am curious – kind of where he is physically. I just haven't seen it enough to know yet, but certainly between being 6'2 and 220 and the pl- the way he plays mentally fast and physically fast and tough, I, there's definitely a lot to like, especially, you know, as you think about playing this out in the future where they've lost Antoine Simmons, who was that kind of bullet into the backfield type guy that I can definitely see why they looked at him and thought, you know, we'd like you to be our next Antoine Simmons in time. Well, he he's listed as an outside linebacker, so I wonder. I sort of wondered if they might move him to maybe a, the Michael Dowell type position as a safety type position, maybe. Or do you think he's a born and bred linebacker that does fit that Antoine Simmons mold? Yeah, I think there's potential flexibility there. Again, I I have not seen him in much pass coverage. I mean, he is a real downhill player. So, and there's stuff you can do with the safety in that realm, obviously, and blitz him, and almost like a. You know, Landon Collins, Jabril Peppers type, but I just don't know that he's done enough uh, pass coverage. But it's it's certainly possible. But the thing to keep in mind right now is and this can change because the personnel dictates it. But Michigan State runs a four two five. So when we talk about inside and outside linebackers, I mean, well, it's kind yeah. of one and the same. There's two yeah. out there, and those guys are built to be more rangy. You know, they're and there's only two guys on the field trying to cover this middle. So in some ways, it's going to kind of be. Four two five. Those linebackers are a little more like safeties than they are just stack linebackers. Right. And so, I think there's, I think there's some definite, definite potential for versatility there. You know, one guy I think of when I kind of the best version of this I've seen in college of what I think he can 
maybe become is like a Ryan Shazier. And he's actually bigger than Shazier coming out. Shazier was light. I always forgot how light. He was like 205 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so 15 pounds lighter than than Ma. But that was Ohio State putting him in the, the strength program they have. And by the time he got to, you know, sophomore, junior season, he's a an NFL-type prospect. So that's certainly the idea and the hope that I think they have here. They believe a lot in their strength and conditioning development and um, the one thing, though, is he's probably going to have to play pretty early because the pipelines at linebacker at Michigan State are uh, not spectacular with Antoine Simmons leaving. Exactly. So, do you think he'll do you think he'll play as a freshman? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they need. I mean, they need guys out there, yeah. and this is one of those guys that I think you can unleash a little bit more. It's a little less of uh, the mental processing. I mean, it depends on which linebacker spot, but if they're able to set it up to where he's, you know. He's, you know, no, no, Harvey's calling the defense and um, they're able to let him kind of use his athleticism more than thinking and leading. Um, it's just going to be easier next year when you have, you know, you have spring ball and you have longer practices and you know when the season starts and, um, and there's not this start stop of the physical development. Um, he's going to be out there and play a lot of snaps, special teams too. Yeah. I, I'm sure they'll use him there. He's just a guy that, that just flies and hits the ball so hard and, for as much as they want to take the ball away, I think you have to use that. All right. Well, good analysis there, Nate, on both those guys, Anthony, QB Anthony Russo and linebacker Ma Nauteote. All right. Well, let's move on to our final segment here, and that is our game picks. And we're going to pick each of the five bowl games that the Big Ten is playing in. And But I'll recap our previous week's action. Uh, last week, Nate went 2-2 two and two, while I went 3-1. and one, So I picked up another game on Nate. Phil is on fire. Uh, I know. So I'm 30 and 15 on the season, while Nate is 27 and 18. So that gives me a three game advantage. So, uh, the game, I, yeah, I gave Minnesota, Wisconsin was the uh, one I gained on you last week. You took uh, the Gophers, I took the Badgers, and uh, the Badgers came out with the dub. All right. Well, let's start. Uh, we This is mostly in chronological order, except for the last one uh, Wake Forest versus Wisconsin in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. <sighs> Yeah, it's been such a bizarre year for Wisconsin. I mean, you'd think they're a lot better than how they played this season when they couldn't get reps for Graham Mertz and build off what they did in week one. Wake Forest is a well-coached team, but they don't have nearly the brand built up as Wisconsin. So I'm going to go with the Badgers, but I mean, <laughs> it's mo- motivation's probably going to drive a bull like this. Yeah. And not in a lot of these, really. Yeah, true. Uh, I took Wisconsin as well. I just think, uh, like last year when Wake Forest played Michigan State, like I know Michigan State, you know, there were certainly some struggles in the regular season last year, but it was just such a good matchup for Michigan State uh, that I picked Michigan State to win last year, and they ended up doing that. So I'm going to take the Big Ten again and Wisconsin over Wake Forest. Uh, the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl, Iowa versus Nate Atkins' alma mater, Missouri. Yeah. Well, you're not going to be able to call me a homer here because I'm going <laughs> Iowa. Uh, you know, Mizzou, and they're 5-5 five and five of the first-year coach. So there were some positives, but they kind of ran out of gas late in the season, and their best player in defense, Nick Bolton, just declared for the draft, and they just don't have enough to handle this uh, Iowa run game or or even the Iowa defense. And unless Iowa just comes out really flat, I think they're going to win this probably pretty handily. Yep, I am with you on everything you said. I like the Hawkeyes in that one. Uh, the Verbo Citrus Bowl, Auburn versus Northwestern. I'm going to go with Northwestern here. I think they're better than people are giving them credit mm-hmm. for. I didn't really like the whole. 
you know, the SEC snobbery who turns on the first Northwestern game they've watched in 16 years and they see that they're up on Ohio State. So therefore, the Big Ten's a terrible conference. And there's no way that Northwestern could possibly be that good when they're, you know, every game they play is the same thing, a tight defensive game. And talk about a team that plays with a lot of, uh, you know, not a lot of culture and pride. And I mean, they have a brand and I think that's going to matter in a bowl game where they're facing a school that just fired its coach in Auburn and it's coming off a dreadfully disappointing season for their standards. And this will be one that Northwestern wins on like a turnover late. And then all the SEC people will say it was just Auburn didn't want to be there. And if they did, they would have won by 40. But that's when Northwestern wins. Yeah, you made a lot of really, really good points there, Nate. And I hate myself because I picked Auburn to win this game. And I mean, you're saying a lot. I'm like, oh, man, Nate is right about every single one of these. But I have already entered Auburn into <laughs> into our picks. Oh, no. and my, am, my, uh, my pick so far this season should not lead you there. I, I am not going to. I'm just going to I'm going to leave it at Auburn. All right. Ole Miss versus Indiana in the Outback Bowl. Yeah. I mean, Indiana is so much better than Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, it's just not even close. Indiana shouldn't be in this bowl game. They should have gotten a New Year's Six bowl when their only loss was by seven to a playoff team. Yep. Um, even though they don't have Michael Penix Jr., obviously they they played pretty well without him. And um, you know when they beat Wisconsin, and they've just got a lot of defense. And Ole Miss plays zero defense, so I got Indiana. Yep, I am with you on that. I got the Hoosiers as well. All right, moving to the college football playoff and the All-State Sugar Bowl: Ohio State versus Clemson. All right. Well, you, I'm sure you'll call me a homer. I'm going with Ohio State in this one. I think this is a very interesting trap that has been laid here, really mostly by Dabo Swinney coming out and going so hard against the Big yeah. Ten, not playing games, ranking Ohio State 11th. All this stuff that goes against how he's always won these games, which is the little old Clemson, they don't believe in us. I mean, he's turning the tables and making himself in his program the big favorite against a team that in Ohio State that they didn't get their marquee games this year. They didn't get a huge, you know, fun team to play and beat up on the Big Ten title game. They didn't get Michigan. This is their rivalry game at this point, the program that they've got to try and come out and beat. And I think when they get Chris Olave back from, if they're able to get him back from his COVID issues, um, I think they're going to have enough explosion on offense to win pretty high-scoring game. Wow. I love it. Uh, once again, you've laid out a good, some good points, but I am going to disagree with you on this one as well. And I am going to take Clemson. I just think, uh, when Clemson is at full, full tilt with Trevor Lawrence at the helm, I just think they're a different team altogether. And, you know, Clemson might be just as good this year as they were last year. And I think Ohio state is, is a step or two down from what they were a year ago. And I just, it's at that, when you put all those factors in together, it's, uh, it's hard to pick against the Tigers. So I am going to go Clemson in that game. Yeah. I think this will be the fun semifinal game, though. I don't think uh, Notre Dame-Alabama is going to be very close in the fourth quarter. No. I hope it is, but yeah. that screams beat down. Yeah, it screams Alabama like 30, well, 49 to 14, right? Something along yeah. those lines. It's like that national title game the first time they met up. Right, exactly. All right, anything else before we sign off here, Nate? Uh, no, it's just amazing. We're at this point and it's like Michigan state hasn't played in two weeks and doesn't have a bowl game. And so it's just like the rest of college football moved on and these teams that kind of didn't work for, um, they're kind of hanging it up. But I will say, I'm just on one note. I feel bad for, for some of the Michigan state players. I mean, it's all relative. It's a pandemic. They're playing sports in it. You know, we get what we get, but I think about some guys like, um, you know, whether it's Xavier Henderson or Antoine Simmons, those guys who, you know, they wanted one last big senior year to to leave their 
print on this program and to to really do something and and it just like the world didn't didn't allow them to do it and yeah. it's disappointing they they didn't even know what that you know it's like their last game arrived and they didn't even know it was their last game and and now Antoine Simmons I know is testing the NFL and Shakir Brown's doing that because how long can you wait around and right. you came back for this senior season and this is what you got not that this is normal but at, by any stretch but just a disappointing kind of situation because in past years, even last year, I remember people were, you know, it's easy to make jokes about. I'm trying to remember what bowl game Michigan State played in last year. Oh, the pinstripe bowl. And it was easy to be like, who cares about the pinstripe bowl? But I knew guys on that team who were fired up to just, you know, have a trip to New York City and to go out together and have one last game. And and they get the, you know, there's a bowl experience, families meeting up at the hotels at Christmas time. And it's all this stuff that, that just – it's one of the million things we're not going to get in 2020. It's way down on the list of the real tragedies of 2020, but it is something that I think about as we do this podcast and we're going week by week with this team. And then all of a sudden it just ends. And for some guys like Antoine Simmons and Xavier Henderson, it just ends for them too. And it's just kind of unfortunate. Well said there, sir. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Nate Atkins underscore, at Phil underscore friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.